Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. Today, we are sponsored by Elephant Learning. Learn one year of math in three months. And I'm also very excited that today we have on the co-founder of Elephant Learning, who is Dr. Aditya Nagrath, who is a visionary leader on a mission to change the way that the world teaches mathematics. He graduated from the University of Denver with a dual major in mathematics and computer science while working full-time as a software developer. After a decade at the university, Dr. Negrath founded Elephant Head Software, where he led a team of engineers to bring over 35 product lines with over 50 different applications to market. In 2016, Dr. Negrath co-founded Elephant Learning in order to transform America's education system. Three out of four students are not proficient at high school mathematics, leading to 69% of STEM majors switching to a major with less math. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Negrath. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, I'm excited to just jump in and start with saying that these are currently unprecedented times. We are recording on March 31st, and we are about three to four weeks into a pandemic that has essentially shut down our education system and switched everything. We are now doing distance learning, a lot of online learning, and for, I'm sure, thousands of students, potentially no learning at home right now. So prior to our current situation, parents were not having to fill in as teachers from home. And now that they are, they may be lacking skills, education, or time to teach their kids from home. So how can you help us know where to even begin? Yeah, knowing where to start is probably the most uh, challenging part. I guess what would be most helpful is this from a perspective of like taking over the education or from a perspective of maybe figuring out where the student might be at an understanding level with mathematics? Well, okay, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a parent today. Before this all happened, parents were already feeling frustrated and struggling to even just help their kids with basic homework in any subject. And now they feel like they have to be these fill-in teachers, and which they essentially do if you want education to really keep going on. So if they lack the skills or the education, where do you suggest that they begin? What do you see as the most important stepping stone? Okay, well, I think just getting started with, with kind of a homeschool type scenario, the most important thing is to start to develop a, a routine, right? Because with the school, you already kind of have a routine set. And that routine um, helps the student go through the actions of, of actually, you know, getting things done and getting learning done. Except when you're at home, right, it, it kind of feels more like the weekend and you can do whatever you want. So having a routine is really important. And I think that's the first place to start there. The next place that a, a parent might want to do then is to figure out what curriculum the students were undertaking in the school and try to pick that up and continue that where they left off. Uh, just because that's probably the, the easiest way to get them moving again, right? You don't want to try to start with a new curriculum and try to figure out how does this all fit in. From a mathematics perspective, many of the students that we encounter, four out of five students, are uh, behind from a conceptual level. So what that means is they don't have the understanding of the jargon of mathematics. Uh, so the example I like to give is it's like if you or I walked into a third-year biochem course, right? We would have missed three years of jargon we wouldn't understand what the professor was saying, saying, even though he's speaking English. For a lot of kids, they're about two to three years behind from a conceptual level. So um, what we do is we, we actually try to start behind the student and catch up to them. 
and we test them from a conceptual level. So we we actually give them puzzles where it might be something like, give me five things, give me four more things. How many things do I have now? That's uh, a lot more time consuming for a parent. So what I would do um, if I were in that situation is I would I would use word problems. So if the student is not able to apply the concept to solve a word problem, then it means they don't completely grasp it yet. So here's something I'm, I've been really excited to ask you about. So how do you know that your kid is at their proper grade level? And I have a couple of like sub questions under that. Meaning, you know, how do you know? Sometimes people say, well, the public education system has lower standards. So do you want them to be at, you know, the public education standard? Is there a different standard in America or other countries? And in that spirit, where do you think that we that we're leading and where are we lacking in terms of setting those standards? From a, from a standards perspective, I, I don't know if I would worry about that so much, right? Because the standard is, is that we we go through our education system, we get to our level of university, and then that's the level of understanding that the university wants to pick us up from and, and take us along with. Again, the, 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 the major problem is that conceptual gap that we have. To be honest, it, it is kind of all over the world. So even though you see higher proficiency in other countries, some of it is that uh, the, the strictness of the education system forces them to memorize and forces them to say, no, no, I'm really good at this, even though maybe they don't really understand what's going on behind the scenes. What's the most important thing is to be able to understand those ideas, because at some point you are able to use a calculator to get the answer. So a lot of parents might look at it and say, well, if my child doesn't have those memoriz- uh, the, the multiplication tables memorized, then they're going to be lacking. When it's really, if they don't know how to use multiplication to solve a real life problem, then they can't even pull out a calculator to do it later on in life. For us, if we can get them that understanding, they actually move a lot faster because when you understand the concept and you use the calculator, it's faster than having to memorize the multiplication tables. But at the same time, if you did memorize your multiplication tables, they've now become useful to you. So that's where I would focus the attention because even if we tried to play to some standard the most important thing for the students to be able to walk away with knowledge that they're able to apply in the real world to get real results, which is now an everyday thing because, you know, it used to be that if you didn't understand the sciences, if you didn't understand mathematics, you could go into business. But because now business is so data driven with computers, with the, with the data, you know, even marketing used to be like a creative space. Now it's a, it's a very data analytics space. You have to be able to understand the professor to get those ideas, to apply them in a way that actually gives you a positive return on investment. So it sounds to me like what you're really focused on and what you uh, were part of developing is having that underlying knowledge and being able to then apply it in real world situation and in word problems and in real life skills, not just memorize this. Here's a little trick on how to memorize this and get the right answer. That's right. And it's it's especially important when you get to algebra, right? Because memorization as a technique works right up until algebra. But then what we see is that we lose a lot of students in algebra. And the reason why is because, well, five times X is extremely confusing if you didn't know what five times six was. Yeah, that's a really good point. Does it baffle you, I'm curious, as a mathematician, why math is so intimidating and difficult for so many people? Oh, not at all. (laughs) 
No. So what this is what we find is that four out of five students start kindergarten unprepared for the kindergarten curriculum. And it really boils down to the language that we're talking about. Right. The jargon. Right. I mean, here's the difference between the biochem course that we talked about earlier and third grade. I can walk out of that biochem course. Mm -hmm. You can't walk out of third grade. And more than that, in third grade, we're telling children that. I mean, your future is dependent on this. The job you get is dependent on this. Everything is dependent on you being able to do this. But from an understanding perspective, they're three years behind. That's a scary scenario, right? And the other part of it that's kind of, uh, uh, I, I'd say maybe, or challenging. What I'd say is challenging is that the schools are okay with, with graduating people that don't understand, right? So like in Europe, the reason why they do perform better in mathematics when they get to middle school is because if you don't understand how to add, you don't graduate first grade. Here, we kind of worry about um, what they're going to feel like if we if we fail them, though we don't worry about what they're going to feel like if they're in third grade and they don't understand the teacher. That lifelong anxiety, I'd say, is a lot worse than the temporary pain of failing first grade. Yeah, so that's interesting. So you're saying in, in some of the European countries, uh, holding a child back and having them repeat a grade is not as big of a deal and maybe perceived as traumatic as it would be here? Well, I think that they are just holding the integrity of their education system, right? I mean, here's here's the actual issue. I, I spoke with the superintendent once. Um, I think he was in Illinois, and he was he was focused on fifth grade. He was looking at putting elephant learning into the fifth grade to remediate students. And when we explain to him what we do, which is we find the initial level of understanding of the student and we start building them from there, right? Because if the student doesn't understand addition, the thought that they're going to understand multiplication is kind of out of reach, right? Multiplication is repetitive addition. They're not going to bridge that gap. What he said that they do, in, in at least in that district, was that they just take the fifth graders, they teach them the same materials, but at a slower pace. That student's not going to get understanding, right? They're not going to bridge that gap. I mean, what's the outcome of that besides frustration and, and low, low, maybe low self-esteem? It's all of the things associated with mathematics anxiety, right? If you look up math anxiety, those are the results that we're giving the students. How exactly? How would you explain uh, elephant learning? Like what, what is the like, key difference between what elephant learning does and maybe some of the other programs that are out there? So uh, our mission is to empower children with mathematics, and we make all of our decisions based on does this empower children with mathematics, and we're very, very careful to not do anything that would change that. So, for example, very early on, we had a lot of people coming to us saying, well, it would be cool if there was like a, if they could like win a car, or if they could like do something else, right? Well, what we know is that the research that we've seen, it's psychological research, says that if you do activity A, in order to do activity B, then activity A becomes work. So you get to watch TV if you take out the trash. Well, now taking out the trash becomes work, which it probably would have become work anyway, but now it's instantaneous. The same is true for math. If you're doing math in order to do something else, then the math becomes work. So we're very careful not to do that. And the way that we do that is we turn math into a puzzle game, right? So think Angry Birds, but for uh, mathematics. And the other way to think about it is like Sudoku, right? Sudoku as a puzzle 
is fun. It's math. That's one of the things is we made math the prize, if you will. So doing the math becomes fun. And as parents see that happen for their children, that's one of the, the, the markers of success that they're getting is that now math is fun. It's not something where like they're dreading it. They're starting to build more confidence because they're starting to understand it more as they play those puzzles, as they solve those puzzles. I mean, there's a sense of accomplishment, right? There's a sense of confidence that comes with that. The other thing that we do that's different than everyone else is we, we've, we've taken what is the strongest research that we could find in early age education. Uh, science, if you will. And those are the activities that then became the puzzles. So the gamification of the curriculum, right? It's a, it's kind of a, a mixture between what would be a math academy, because what we're doing is very serious, but to the children feel like playing a game, right? So maybe what would be the academy of the future, right? Because we all know as educators that the projects is where where the the children learn the most because they have to get their hands dirty, they have to play with it, they have to dive in deep into the research and get it. And so we're kind of providing that on demand. That's a great way to explain it. And I will tell you in a totally authentic way, my most, I have three kids and my oldest is 12 and she's the most hesitant toward math, feels some anxiety, that frustration will say things like, I'm not good at it. And so I brought this up as like, hey guys, we're going to try something new now. It's called, you know, elephant math or elephant learning. And she was the most excited about it. She was like, I really like that. This is really fun. And it was great because the screen when it pops open is extremely engaging right off the bat. It's extremely colorful and they get a lot of choices for what I'm calling an avatar. I don't know if that's what you're calling it, but you know, different animals they could choose and We've been doing it every day. The other thing I will say, um, you haven't mentioned yet, but I think as a parent has made a difference is I've said to them, Hey guys, you only have, you only have to do this for 10 minutes today. So it's short. So one out of my three is more hesitant and two out of the three are really excited about it. And, um, so the two out of three are like, Oh, I want to do it longer. And the one out of three is like, okay, I'll do it because it's just 10 minutes. So that's the other thing. What's the thought around like the time and how much time should you be having your kids be on a screen practicing math? Well, I mean, what we wanted to do was we wanted to make it as effective and as efficient as possible, right? So like if a student could just put in 10 minutes a day and they can get the the concepts behind the math that they're learning in school, then they'd be able to walk into school and they'd be able to understand the teacher. So thereby filling that gap and maybe solving the the math problem. The other thought behind it was kind of like from Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Body, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And he talked about this thing called the med, right? Like if you could tan for like 30 minutes, but the med is 15 minutes. If you just do 15 minutes, you get all the benefit. The next 15 minutes is not as efficient as the first 15 minutes. So because math is such a subject that a lot of people have anxiety around it, uh, at least half of first and second graders report math anxiety, I just thought, well, we're going to have to kind of suck them into it. Let's just make it a med, right? And to be honest with you, this type of practice, this type of routine of being able to sit down and just do 10 minutes, I think is a is something that's applicable in a lot of different things. Like, for example, uh, if the child wants to learn how to play an instrument or if they want to take up a sport, if they want to, right? We have so much time in our lives that we could just devote 10 minutes or 30 minutes to something in a day the results are are big. And the classic example is the gym, right? If I could just go to the gym 30 minutes a day, 
the impact it would have on my life. Right. Right. I love that. I will tell you, I, I love it for the kids, but I also love it as a parent because it's of multiple reasons, but right now, especially there's a lot of online learning going on. And so every minute, you know, not every minute, but maybe every 10 minutes or so I'm logging in my head, like, Oh gosh, here we're at an hour. Now we're at two hours today. You know, how many hours are logging in? So it does make me feel good. Like they're getting really good math practice in minutes, not in hours. Okay. So, but I want to ask you another question. So I have been reading a lot lately, and especially over the last two weeks, about how the students who have medical or learning disabilities, the ones who are um, special education students, are the ones that are probably at the greatest disadvantage right now academically from having to learn from home, improvise, maybe have um, parents who really cannot educate them fully. There's a lot of issues around that. How, if at all, can parents with disabilities help their kids in a homeschool distance learning model? Do you have thoughts around that? Yeah, I, I think I think there there is a little bit of a of a of a challenge there, right? And I think the the best way to approach it is to understand that that again, and I think this is true not just for math. It's it's kind of true for almost all subjects, right? The all subjects are trying to get across ideas or experiences within that subject. So, for example, if you take reading, right, really, we're reading these books so that we can develop context around uh, uh, the ideas so that when you see the word on the page, it, it makes sense. Right. So the classic example of this is like the movie Serendipity. No one I knew knew that word. And then this movie comes out and then everyone's using it. Right. But it's a good example, right? Like the name of the movie is Serendipity and what happens is serendipitous and <laughs> and it works. The same thing's kind of happening there at the school level. So if we focus on on giving the, the student the experiences and the language around those experiences that, that are going to build whatever it is that the parent's looking to build at that moment in time, then I think that it doesn't matter if they have any learning impairment. And in fact, in our system, we see students come in with learning impairments, and they learn at the same rate as the other students because we are filling those gaps. That's really promising to hear that because I think that's been uh, of great concern um, that those are the kinds of kids that maybe it would be falling behind. So I'm glad to hear that. I am curious in different ways I've asked you about this, but do you feel like people who just don't get math or math just doesn't come easily to them, do you feel like it actually is a different language. There's like a different part of the brain that gets ignited when you're learning math. Like what is it about math that makes it so unique in its learning? Well, I, I don't, I don't think it's unique necessarily. And that's really the, the trick to this, right? So I, I think it's just like any other jargon. For example, at some point in my career, I ended up in the Oracle world and in the Oracle world, there's a whole bunch of acronyms that, you got to pick up. And I think a lot of parents probably have had that experience or had the experience where they, they walked into a situation. Every profession has jargon, right? And it's just a matter of being able to learn the jargon in context. So like if you walk into a classroom and you see five plus four equals something on a piece of paper, right? Five plus four equals, and you're supposed to answer it. If you haven't had the experience that give me five things, give me four things, how many things do I have now? Then this, this is a really confusing thing. And if they, t if they say the answer is nine, this is a very confusing thing. 
you got to remember at that age, right, if they're a year or two behind, they may not even have a strong grasp of, of the language of numbers. Like when your child is just saying the numbers, they don't know what it means. And then it goes to, can they recognize how many fingers you're holding up, right? So that's another game that parents play with children. What kindergarten believes is proficient, the, the entry level for kindergarten is, can you give me 10 things? And the child slides over 10 things and stops at 10. So there's a marked difference between what even I, before I started this project, believed counting to 10 was and what the school defines counting to 10 is. So if you can imagine a child that comes in, is just saying the numbers one through 10, goes through kindergarten, again, right, it's, it's very difficult for a kindergarten teacher to fail anyone. They go into first grade and they don't have that grasp of the numbers. Then it's a lot like being thrown into that Oracle world or going into that third year biochem course. So the reason why it's so difficult is because is there's no real place where we can check to see what the understanding level is, meaning that we can see it maybe when we're asking word problems, though in first grade, word problems are not as common because students are also learning to read. But it's it's about this idea of if, if you ask the question in, in an experienced type of way, are they able to figure out the answer? Are they able to apply the ideas that they've learned to figure out the answer? Um, and if they're not, can we stop and, and figure out where their level of understanding is and catch them up? And then if you think about doing that at the level of a teacher in a classroom where there's one teacher, there's 30 students, it's not going to work because even if they did that up on the board, right, the students that get it, they're going to get it. The students that don't get it, they're going to say they got it because no one wants to be the one in the room that said they didn't get it. That's a really good point. <clears throat> I have to tell you, I've never heard of someone give, like, I've never heard someone give that explanation of math in that way. Like it's just different jargon because in the field of psychology, there's a lot of jargon or psychobabble, Absolutely. right? And so some of it's very popularized, but a lot of it isn't. So if all of a sudden I was talking, I might start using words and you're like, wait, wait what, what is that? Right. And it doesn't mean that you're not an educated intellectual person. It just means you've never heard of that word because it's psychobabble or it's psycho jargon. I didn't take four to eight years of psychology courses. Right. I, I, so I've really never heard of it that way. I really like that as a way to explain to a kid who might be in tears or feeling just frustrated or even avoiding um, doing math to just explaining it that way. And there's so many real world examples. You don't have to make stuff up. There's real stuff to say, well, imagine this, or, you know, daddy doesn't understand when I say this, or, you know, aunt so-and-so doesn't understand this. And we're all educated and smart people. We just don't know that because we don't work in that field. So I really love that. Is there anything else, any parting words of wisdom that you have in terms of just how to boost the self-esteem and confidence of kids who may be hesitant with math? I think this is the, this, everything we've discussed today is really the main thing, right? If, if parents and teachers made a switch to kind of focusing on understanding rather than, you know, fluency and speed and proficiency and standardized exams, then I think what they'd see is that everything else would come along for the ride. Literally what we do is we focus on that core concept so that one, one thing that I like to say is like, so we teach the person how to add, right? When they know how to add, then you can add with money and you can add on the clock and you can add wherever. It, it seems like the previous method of teaching math, the way human beings have just done it for thousands of years is 
here, add until you figure it out what it is, right? And, oh, you don't get it? Well, let's try it with money and let's try it with a clock and let's try it. It's just a lot of curriculum, but not a lot of meat. Yeah, I I really, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and your wisdom with myself and so many other parents that are now finding themselves being homeschool teachers, distance learning coaches, all of these different roles that all of a sudden we're in. And I know that I already feel more confident just as a parent in this role. So I appreciate your time. And again, um, this episode was sponsored by Elephant Learning. Learn one year of math in three months. Thanks for being a guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here.